Welcome to another episode of Talking Good, where we chat with individuals involved in the nonprofit sector about philanthropy and how it shows up in their personal and professional lives. Today, we're chatting with Danette O'Connell, the Executive Director of the Nonprofit Collective Foundation. Danette, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You know, let's get right to it. What does your work entail with the Nonprofit Collective Foundation? And does it reflect what brought you into the field of philanthropic work? Yes, so at the Nonprofit Collective Foundation, we raise money to give money and we provide unrestricted funds to nonprofits. Did you come from a philanthropic household or what inspired you to get involved in such a way? No, I've been working with nonprofits since 2004. And one of the issues that I have found over the years is providing unrestricted funds. It's one of the hardest things for nonprofits to to raise. So I really wanted to create a foundation that provided those funds. Most grants that are given through foundation or through government provide about 10% to 10 and 15% of unrestricted funds. And so we're trying to advocate for that to be increased to 25%. Because most businesses and nonprofits can't survive off of 10 to 15% of unrestricted funds. So we uh, created this organization to do so. So we raise money to give money. So we have uh, nine categories uh, that we give money to, which is social community, women and men, human rights, veterans, animals, environment, art and culture, health and wellness, and children and youth. That's really awesome. Working for the supply side of the nonprofit sector, how do you control for personal biases and funding? That's a good question. It's a tough one also. So it is a very difficult problem in the nonprofit sector. So just being able to provide openness and willingness to be able to provide funds across the board. That's really interesting. You know, a little bit about me, my background with nonprofit fundraising is primarily on the demand side of nonprofits. So very small grassroots organizations. And it seems like a lot of times organizations of that size feel a little bit mystified by the process of writing grants and foundations. And if you were to conduct a webinar or explain, you know, how a foundation functions to them, how would you do that? So a lot of it is relationship building, right? So it's really getting in the, for the average foundation, they want to build a relationship with the nonprofit. And so really reaching out and being able to build those relationships is very important. We are a little bit different in in our process. So we don't have an application process. We have a video application process. So we ask all of our nonprofits to create a video and answer five questions. So the five questions are, who are you? What, who do you serve? What community do you serve? What impact are you making? What would you do with the $10,000, our grants for $10,000? And how would it impact your organization? We don't care how you do the video. It could be on your phone. It could be a Zoom call with a friend. But those five questions have to be answered in five to seven minutes. It's not 
less, not more. So uh, we really want to feel the passion of the person that is delivering the message. We want to know what you're doing. We want to feel what you're doing. What are you doing different than everybody else out in the world? So, and that's how we judge our, uh, our funding. That's a very cool process. And thank you for being so transparent. I wonder, are you able to share any particular application that really stood out in your memory through all the time you've been doing this? Oh my God, there are so many. So as I read, uh, as I listen to the videos, there are so many that, you know, pull at your heartstrings and, you know, you know, you'll see me crying as I, you know, listen to them because some of them are very heartfelt and some of them are, you know, there's one that I just love these guys. They do murals all over the country. So where there's been graffiti all over like a bridge, they go in and make that a beautiful mural. And so just making things, you know, pretty like garbage trucks, like I'm from New York City. So in New York, they did where they just made garbage trucks a mural. Like how beautiful, like something that's not as pretty they turn into making, you know, it gorgeous, right? So over time that, you know, diminishes, but, um, but what, how, what a great idea, right? So like, you know, those kind of things, or one of the ones that we funded was a veterans organization. So veterans are, you know, dear to my heart because I don't think that we treat them as well as they should be treated, you know, and, you know, they fought for us, they fight for our freedom, and then they come back from war and, you know, they get not great medical service. They, you know, they, they suffer from mental issues and, you know, there's, and they don't get the resources. We don't retrain them. So this organization does it all. They bring all of the veterans organizations all throughout the U.S. and college uh, and universities together to serve all of our vets. So we funded them. Very cool. So, yeah, and we also funded period kids. So, so many women out there that are homeless or just don't have the means. They come from, you know, underserved communities where they can't even afford, you know, sanitary napkins. You know, so they build these packages and give them away to homeless people or people in underserved communities. Like, it's little things that you don't think of that women have to deal with when they're homeless, you know, like, and, and people don't think about that. So, so we funded them. So yeah, there are so many of them and, you know, we wish that we could fund all of them, right? Like, so, but unfortunately we can't raise that much money. It's really interesting to be in the position of handing out, you know, grants to different amazing organizations like that. And I wonder have you ever been inspired to practice something that you learned about that maybe you couldn't fund or maybe you did fund? Have you ever incorporated any of those practices into your day-to-day -day life? Oh, without a doubt, right? It, it's really so eye-opening and, you know, or it's something that I, I've done, you know, like I used to foster kittens and, you know, we take them in and wait till they're old enough to be spayed and neutered. And then we, you know, adopt them out. But we had taken a look at uh, larger animals like horses and cows and things like that. And so, you know, it made me want to get more involved in that, you know, and 
because you don't think about those, right? And my background is international business. So I've traveled around the world. And so I've had the pleasure of going to countries like Africa and, you know, be able to give back to the orphanages of elephants and giraffes, you know, the larger animals, you know, because with elephants, they kill the the moms and the dads for their tusks and leave the babies behind and which is so sad, you know, and then they become orphans. And and elephants are just so playful. They're like puppies, you know, they love to play and rough house and they love their bellies rubbed and, and they allow you to go in there and do that with them. But they're still kept in the wild. So they come in for their attention for an hour a day and then they're released. They're guarded with a fence, but they're still in the wild because they want them to be able to be released, you know, eventually when they grow up uh, and they'll always come back for animals. So I got more and more involved with that. And then I adopted one for each one of my kids. And so, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, you get so involved in it, you know, and I'm always looking for different ways to give back. And, and with this foundation, uh, we also have a, a cooperative attached to it. It just allowed me to give back more and more. So we give back to you know, thousands of nonprofits across the United States. That is such a cool story. Thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up international business. You know, I find it really impressive that you have an MBA in international business Mm -hmm. and a certification also in nonprofit governance education. That seems like a relatively unique advantage when you're working with nonprofits. So how do you think that's influenced your work within the philanthropic sector? It's just allowed me to understand the governance of nonprofits. It's really important to know how they're run and what's the right things and wrong things to know, you know, what you can do and what you can't do. You know, at the end of the day, nonprofits are businesses with a tax status, right? But they still have a governance that they have to be run by. And so to make sure that the IRS doesn't shut them down and the governance is the board. The board is ultimately responsible for the nonprofit. And the the board is the executive director's boss at the end of the day. That's who runs the organizations. They're the ones who are financially responsible for the organization. So having that governance piece is very, very important. And everyone, I think, who is an executive director or leadership should be taking that certain a certificate in governance and really understanding that. And for that matter, everybody on a board should understand that. And so I used to do board training until I was asked to stop doing it because every time I did it, half the board would quit. And <laughs> because once they learn what their fiduciary responsibilities are, they're like, oh, I didn't know that. And I was like, well, you should have known that right? Like you should know what your fiduciary responsibilities are. If something happens to the organization, you're ultimately held responsible. You're the one going down for it, right? Like you should be looking at the financials. You should be knowing what goes on in the organization at all given times, right? Because if somebody does wrong in a nonprofit, the board is held responsible, not the person who, I mean, the person who did wrong is going to be held responsible too, but ultimately 
it's the board that's held. And you bring up a really interesting point, and it's, I think it's relatively common across the nonprofit sector, whether you're on the demand side or the supply side. We, we don't prepare our board members. We find people that are very passionate about the mission. They're very excited to be involved. And it doesn't seem like there's a very cohesive onboarding process for boards. And I'm wondering, have you developed one for your organization? Without a doubt. We have an extensive onboarding process for our board members, and it starts with an application just to bring a board member on. It's setting the expectations of what we expect from a board member. And then once they're approved, then they get a copy of the bylaws and the conflict of interest and um, all legal documents along with, so it's called a board book. And it has all the documents included in there. And that's their onboarding process. Um, They have to sign all of the documents once a year. All the documents are updated once a year. Every nonprofit should have this process. It's really critical because a board member can say, well, I didn't know that. Well, if they signed a document saying that they did, that's on them then, right? So you've taken the responsibility off of you. Ignorance is not an excuse, and it probably would not hold up in court because it's your responsibility and a board member should know their responsibilities, but you've taken that off of your plate as an executive director that you said, well, you signed off on it. So you did know what your responsibilities and just because you didn't read the document doesn't mean too much. And even once a year when uh, the 990s come out, which is the tax returns, I have each board member say that they've received it, they understood them, and they had no additional questions, and they have to sign them, or that they've received them, they reviewed them, and they understood them. And they have to sign that document and return that back to me so that they can, so they don't say, I never received that document. So because a lot of times if the organization gets into financial trouble, and the board is ultimately held responsible. They say, well, I never saw that 990 or I never saw that financial statement. So if you sign off on it, you can't say that anymore, right? It could be part of a defense if the organization ever got in trouble. Hopefully that never comes down to it, but there's legal documents in place for a reason. It's for when you get in trouble, right? It's not when you always stay out of trouble. So it's always good practice to have all of those documents in place. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of particularly smaller nonprofits tend to struggle a little bit with that type of documentation, particularly if you're moving from having sort of a working board where the board is kind of the unpaid staff of the organization into more of a governance board. And I think One of the issues that I've run into throughout my career is how to incorporate fundraising into board orientation without scaring everybody away. And it sounds like you've addressed a lot of that. Have you specifically created a fundraising agreement or a give slash get agreement that you found that works? Yeah. So I just want to be clear. Um, There is no such thing as a working board. A board is a board is a board, right? Like they have to follow... Uh, governance. So there's no board that doesn't have to follow governance. So 
and all boards are working boards, right? Like they have some kind of responsibility or duty to do. So it just depends on how much they do and how much they don't do, right? So, but to answer your question, yes. So it's important. Some people, when they first start out, they don't start out with a give-get. Um, I don't believe in that. Um, I think that all boards should start out with a give-get. While we don't want to, you know, impose on them to give a give-get, that's what they're there for. Your board is there to fundraise, right? Like that, there's, there's no ands or buts about that. So let's start off from day one, right? Let's start out with a give-get. It could be a small give-get, right? So, but you know, you got to set the expectations right off. It's so hard to implement a give-get later on. Well, we've been doing it this way for years. Why, why implement a give-get now? No, do it from day one. You know, even if you start out small, you can always increase it, right? Start out small. If it's $100, if it's $500, everyone can get money, right? Like go ask your friends and family. You know, if everybody pitches in $10 and you know 10 people, there you go. There's your $100, right? Like, so I think that all boards should, uh, all 501c3 charities should have a give gift. Because how can you go out and ask people to donate to an organization that you don't give to, right? Like, because sometimes they'll turn around and say, well, how much do you give? Well, I don't give any. Well, why would, why would they give if you don't give, right? Like, that's very difficult. Yeah. And you bring up a lot of really good points there. So I wonder for our listeners that are maybe in this situation with maybe they're creating a new nonprofit, maybe they have a new board member, maybe they just want to change how they onboard board members. Are there templates and resources that you would direct them to? Um, there is, there's plenty of templates out there. If you just Google them, there's plenty out there. We are starting to build uh, templates for our organization for the cooperative side. Um, we just haven't got there yet. Very cool. So I have to wonder, you know, I've been studying with the Lilly School for a few semesters now, and a couple of academics named Robert Payton and Michael Moody have described the definition of philanthropy as voluntary action for the public good. And I wonder, after working in the field and having all of these experiences that you've had, would you describe philanthropy similarly, or would you define it differently? Um, no, I would, I would, define it the same you know philanthropy is you know I always say nobody volunteers or gives back unselfishly right people volunteer because they want to feel good about themselves and they give money because well some people do it for tax reasons but for the most part people give back because they want to feel good about giving back right they don't give you know for no reason so you know, they want, you know, they give to causes that are close to their heart, you know, or for a purpose, right? So people will donate to animals because they have animals and they love animals. You know, they'll, they'll donate to cancer centers because maybe they had cancer or a loved one had cancer, right? So, or a specific type of cancer. So it always hits home and non, most nonprofits are started out from pain that someone had. 
if it's a child that passed away or a mother or father or something that happened, some tragedy that happened in their life, they'll start a nonprofit because of that. So that other people, so it doesn't happen to other people or to help out in if it's like cancer, you know, like we have a, a woman who her daughter had cancer and her daughter wanted to support other kids with cancer, right? So like, you know, perfect example of that. So she wanted to help others. So there's always, you know, some kind of, you know, they want to give back or to help. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. And, you know, that brings up another point about our field. And that's a very high turnover rate, at least for fundraisers. I think it's been uh, established as 18 months at an organization. I'm not sure what the numbers are for executive directors, but I wonder how do you practice philanthropy at home for yourself? And how do you prioritize that to make sure that you can continue doing all this great work? Well, you know, but I'm, I started these, I'm the founder of both of these organizations. So I'm very passionate about, so I don't think I'll ever leave, but there is a high turnover in nonprofit. And it's because everybody's chasing the money. One of the things at the foundation I'm really trying to advocate for is equal pay with for profits to nonprofits. It's expected in the nonprofits. Well, they don't get paid as much as the for profit. Why? Why is that? There is no reason that that should ever be. You know, we we advocate for women and men to be paid equally, but not for profit to nonprofit. Like that's crazy that it's expected that nonprofits be paid less, right? So then people, the turnover is so high because people are looking to be paid more. They gain more experience. So then they try to go to the larger organizations. They start out the smaller ones, then they go to the larger ones so that they can make more money. If we just stop the madness and everybody got paid the same as for profits, then we wouldn't have the issue, right? So, but there's constant turnover and turnover is very, very expensive because you have to train somebody over again. So, you know, we tried to offset that by benefits, you know, well, let's give them more benefits. Benefits cost also, right? Like let's not be, let's not joke ourselves, right? Like, you know, and so, you know, it, they say, well, they cost less. That is true. They do cost less than giving them a raise, but how about if we just all get paid equally? right? If we start with the foundations, you know, you put their salary into the grant and say, you know, let's just say a programmer makes, you know, $60,000. I'm just throwing round numbers out. So $60,000. That's what they should be paid in the for-profit world and the nonprofit. Put it in the grant. We shouldn't be putting them in at $40,000, you know, and, and when the foundations push back, be like, hey, this is what they make in the for-profit world. We shouldn't be compromising the nonprofit community. We work more hours, we're more passionate, we're more dedicated, like than the for-profit will ever be, right? Like we lead with our hearts. What for-profit can say that? Nobody leads with their hearts, they lead with their checkbooks, right? Like, come on. I think that's a really uh, astute observation and you know, there's a lot of different proposed solutions to it, but do you think it's a cultural thing or do you think it's uh, just the mechanics of how a nonprofit is set up? I think it's a cultural thing. 
And it's something that needs to be changed. Yeah, I totally agree. I can't even count the amount of people I know that have left the nonprofit field, not because they were tired of working for the nonprofit field. Right. Out of compassion. It was just, they can't support themselves on the salaries that are available to them. And it's very difficult. And it's sad. It is because we have so many talented workers that could be providing so much more and they just, they burn out as a result of long hours, little pay. Um, and it sounds like you're addressing that with your organization, which is great. I think that's very cool. When someone listens to this episode of Talking Good, what's, their, what's the main takeaway that you want them to have? No matter what you do in life, always give back. If it's, you know, volunteering, if it's donating a dollar, if it's just helping somebody off of the street or donating a pair of socks to a homeless person, just always think with your heart and think that, you know, and be grateful for what you have because the person next to you may not have that. And so if there's something that you can give someone else, you know, just do it, you know? I mean, even... You know, if you see a homeless person, you know, a lot of people don't want to donate money, which I'm one of those people, but I'll take them to lunch. I'll go get them a meal, you know, or give them a pair of socks, you know, if they're cold. Or save an animal. If you see an animal on the side of the street, go pick them up. Just always give back in what you do, and, and it'll make you feel good also, like that you did something good in the world. You know, it doesn't have to cost money. And, and if you want to donate and give a dollar or a thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, then do so, right? But just, you know, be kind in the world and no matter what you do in the world. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeanette. And, you know, my last question is what current projects are you working on or hope to work on? And how can our listeners connect with you? So we have two websites we have the foundation website which is ncf-foundation.org. And uh, we actually have a fundraiser going on. If anybody would like to donate, all of our money is given back to uh, nonprofits. And then we also have the nonprofit cooperative, spelledout.org. And we provide free resources uh, to nonprofits. So if you know any nonprofits that's looking for free resources, everything we do is 100% free for nonprofits. Awesome. Thanks for stopping by to, to talk some good with me today, Tanette. Thank you for having me. Well, everyone, that's it for this episode of Talking Good. If you enjoyed it as much as we did, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and give us a five-star rating. I'm Britt Hotailing, and I'll see you next time.